it's really an honor to have you um, with me today um, at uh, Remember the Plug event, you know, just to be able to just connect with you and just get to hear some of your life story. Because I know uh, for myself, you're actually one of the legends in Africa as far as sound engineering is concerned. You might actually be like the second generation or first generation professional sound engineers on the continent, you know. Uh, people were, who were basically able to take sound engineering as it started in the 1940s, you know, just take it up to also another level on the continent. And also, um, just looking at your history, some of the people that you, you, you work with, some of the people that you recorded for, some of those albums have been playing in different parts of the world. So it's really, really an honor to have you with me today, Richard. So uh, first of all, you know, like the, the first thing I really want to find out is how did you get into this industry? Well, I don't know about being a legend, maybe a legend <laughs> of my own lunchtime. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I got into the industry in a very strange way. I was uh, at university studying marine biology. Wow. But I was a shocking guitar player in a, in a university band. So the band actually fired me, but I was so, I loved the music so much, so I sort of hung around and ended up dabbling with them. And that was really the introduction to the start. So marine biology got ditched and I went on the road and started working with bands as a roadie in those days. How did you then come from just being that guy who was playing guitar and then helping with the music? to then becoming like one of the key sound engineers, for example, in South Africa and even on the continent, who gets to work with like some of the legendary musicians. So how was that process? Like, so from this band, how did you then find yourself into the industry? Um, I eventually started working as an apprentice in a studio in Cape Town. And um, one of the very early projects that did was Manenberg by Abdullah Ibrahim. Okay. Um, and that was I, was, I think I was just addicted after that. Yeah. Well, addiction is maybe not a good term to it's use, okay. but yeah. um, determined to make it work. And then I moved up to Johannesburg and was lucky enough to get a break in a big studio and, and started working from that. And uh, in your career, which, which one was like uh, one of the, the first uh, big bands you worked on a project and you being the main person? Well, I think, you know, in the early days, we used to do a lot of um, big cinema commercials. Okay. And, um, you know, with orchestras and, you know, 50, 60, sometimes 120-piece orchestras. So I would say that that was, for me, the foundation. You know, it was um, pretty terrifying initially in the, in the early days but because you, you had to make it sound yeah. huge, you know. And um, everything was scored, so you had to learn to read music. Um, working with those sort of people and understanding how to mic and record real instruments, I yeah. think, has been a big thing. And um, all in all to date now, just quickly, how many years have you been in the industry? Have you, have you been doing work in the industry? Oh, too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had my company for 40 years. Cool. Uh, and I was, I'd been in the industry a few, quite a few years before that. Wow. So, so it's so been you a can long say, time. Give or take, like, you can say 45 years or <laughs> something like that. Something like that, yes. Oh, wow, that's amazing, eh? 45 years. And um, looking at um, other things, how did you get to a place where, for example, I know you worked on an album for you, Masikela. How did that relationship come about? Like, oh, I, I'm just trying to figure out how does someone from the guy who's playing guitar 
to working with orchestras and then you're working with like bands like that. How does it work? Well, I think, you, you know, even during the period of working with orchestras, we used to do the orchestra stuff in the day and then work a lot with different bands. Um, Ray Peary, the Cannibals, I mean, that was yeah. way back then. I remember hearing them. They were part of the Gallo group and the yes, company yes. merges and stuff in yeah. those days. And I was working in a, in a studio that Gallo basically bought out and Ray came in with his band uh, and I couldn't believe how good they were. I mean, you know, this was the, the essence of, of where Stimela came from yes. in those days. So um, it was, for me, very exciting that these musicians were just unbelievably good and, and needed to be be recorded and, and listened to. So. Beautiful. And just out of interest, when you, when, you were, when you started doing sound and as you were working on these different projects, were there other people that you worked with who were sound engineers as well, but they kind of stopped doing sound over the years or because they felt, they felt it wasn't working for them or something like that? Were there any people like that that you can remember? Um, there were a couple. Um, most of the time, most of the people, like Dave Siegel was yeah. around in those days, Ian Osrin, they're still in the industry today. You yeah. know? Um, there was, we were sort of the second tier. There was a, a generation before us okay. of Peter Thwaites, John Lindemann, and people like that. Um, wow. and are, are any of those people still alive? Very much so, yeah. Is it? Yeah. I'm not sure. I think they're still in the industry. You know, in okay. various little niche pockets here and there. So, would you say like maybe you are like the second generation professional sound engineers in South Africa, or why you um, I think we were second, or maybe even third. I mean, it, you know, okay. the, the days I heard of. I mean, the engineers used to have to wear white coats; were almost treated like uh, lab technicians. Is it? Yeah, I mean that that was. Because don't forget, in those days, everything was recorded straight onto vinyl, acetate. Okay. Um, so there was no oh, yes, editing, yes. and you know, it, it was quite a scientific process yes. for, for, for them. Yeah, but because I, I remember um, reading about a studio in America that's very famous. They had like a four-track recorder, and it was like a really big thing. Mm. You know? Yeah. I started with uh, in the industry with an eight-track recorder, and I mean that. You know, you'd, you'd have to make calculated decisions. You'd record a rhythm section and then bounce it down to stereo, and that was your stereo track. Sure. And then you'd add the, the vocals and whatever, orchestration and whatever. So you were making decisions all the time. Yeah. And you had to live and die by those, you know. And in terms of recording artists or recording projects, which one would you say was like one, one, one of the projects that maybe you enjoyed the most or... That comes to mind when you think about oh. some of the projects, you, projects you've worked on? I actually quite, I mean, there's too many. You know, I know. Seven Gilly, Hugh. I know. You know, they were all, all very special and very, in, in, yeah. in ways. I mean, you know, it, I think what I loved about it in those days was the collection of musicians in a studio all working together, yeah. capturing that energy. And I mean, I think that's why. Um, the live aspect of sound engineering works for so many people. It's, yes. it's that live energy that you want to be part of. You know? yeah. And, and uh, somebody asked me the other day, what's a good live mix? And yeah. it's, it's when you see all the people in the audience actually really having fun and enjoying yeah. it. You know? yeah. Then you know you've done your job. And so when you started your, your career, you were 
uh, you were with, 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 with the band and then you were on the road. Uh, I've always known you, in my head, I've always known you as like a studio engineer first, and then I've known you as um, a mixing engineer for live broadcast TV. So is it actually like that, or it's actually the other way around? No, I think, I think it is very much like that. Okay. I think um, I used to do a lot of album projects in the studios, um, but I think I've enjoyed doing more of the live, uh, tracking live shows. Yeah. And, and uh, reproducing those firstly in DVD formats yeah. and now just in broadcast yes. you know, and streaming. You know, it's, it's all... But the technology keeps changing and I think that's what keeps me excited. Yeah. You know, that yeah. um, a lot of the studio technology is now available to do live show mixes, live, live show recordings, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah, and I also know uh, you've also worked as a personal engineer for different bands as well uh like i think i know you i think zonke is it zonke i did zonke, zonke? Yeah, 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 yeah yeah did you do any other bands um that you can but, remember yeah <laughs> i've worked with you know D danny k for quite a while yeah. um super hot sticks you know various people a lot of enjoy celebration we did a lot of recordings for them i did yeah. 20 years of their I mean, it started off as, as a video cassette. I mean, that's how long ago they, wow. they, they, they started. Um, so it's been a long exercise. What, just watching Joyous go from video cassette to DVD to, to what they, you know, the, uh, wow. Spotify yeah. and, and Apple Music, you know, this, and YouTube. It's yeah. been uh, fascinating. Yeah. And I remember working with you on the Zara recording. I remember working with you on the Joyous in Durban, whatever number it was, uh, and and uh, we have done different other projects <laughs> together. Always good times. Um, I want to talk a bit about Idols. How long have you been doing sound for Idols for broadcast? Uh, I've done the performance side of the mixes for three years now. Okay. Um, I love the the band. Because they're really, really, they're very professional and they're really good. Yeah. And the music, music, music team on Idols is, is superb. You know, it's. Yeah. I think the secret of it is it's not one person. You know, yeah. you you've got Tia, Kurt, and Luella. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're all individually great, great musicians. But as yeah. a, as a group, they they achieve amazing results. Really amazing results. Great. And then in terms of um, equipment, I know you've used different equipment over the length of your career. And now when you work on projects like uh, IDOS, and I also remember we, we, we also worked on the um, Kadi B tour together in Nigeria mm -hmm. and, and, and Ghana. Uh, is there equipment that you, you prefer to use the most? Uh, let's, let's, let's first take the... Let's, let's, let's first look at when, you, when you're recording in a studio. Do you have any preferred equipment that you prefer to work with if you're recording in a studio? From a studio, I think, you know, the, the biggest issue in the studio is your microphone, the quality of the microphones, okay. and obviously the quality of the mic preamps. Okay. Because uh, the majority of what I do is mixing what we call in the box, which is yes. inside, yeah. uh, using, you know, plugins and stuff. Yeah. The dream is to actually have a big SSL console in front yeah. of you to mix, but cool. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't exactly. ha happen too often. I think that's why the live guys actually have more fun because they they have big consoles exactly. still. 
Yeah. yeah, and 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 for me, whenever I see someone working on a laptop and they're mixing, it even like, how are you even doing that? Like, it was like it's a whole lot of work, you know. So um, when when you were working on idols, I remember uh, a, talking to you on the phone, and you and you and you were like, hey, it was so amazing, an amazing time on the finale, you know. Mm. Uh, what what are some of the plugins you're using for that particular show, if you used any at all? I use uh, the Waves DigiGrid system a lot, cool. um, uh, the multi-rack system, um, purely because I'd bought years of, of plugins. SSL, the Waves SSL plugin is, is a go-to. You know, nice. the Shep's Omni Channel is a, is a great all-in, one-stop one plugin. Yeah. Um, I also love the, the reverbs and stuff you get, you know, the outboard reverbs, because I, I think that's one of the big problems with um, the digital consoles, they, yes. they, they stick a digital reverb on there, but yeah. they don't really sound very good. You know? exactly. so, I mean, I know you travel with the yes. TC, and it, yeah. it becomes yeah. a trademark. That's your exactly. tool, yeah. and you, you go to it because you know that that's exactly. what you're going to hear. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and the thing with, 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 with that is, with, with the other reverbs in digital mixer, sometimes you put it, it's too much, mm. you take it out, it's too little, and it's difficult to get to that yeah. sweet spot. Yeah. So, in terms of advice, you know, to people getting into the industry and people who are, who are in the industry now, which, which would be some of your advice, you know, to give to them? Because I know for a fact you're definitely one of the top engineers on the continent, you know. For them to basically work like you, to basically do quality of work as you do, what would be some of the advice to give them? I think one of the, the most important things, especially in, in the area I deal with, in broadcast, um, Audio and it uh, the same same goes for now for any live um, show that's for streaming or things like that is to actually really understand the liveness value. You see, the, the live engineers are very lucky. They they have the dynamic range that they can play with, you know, um, to the limits of what the, the obviously what the system does. But yeah. uh, in live broadcast, you I mean you have very strict loudness parameters that you have to stick to. You know, it's no good trying to go and do a, a CD mix at a CD level for a live broadcast because it's just not going to work. Go, you know, and, you. and it's the same with, with the, uh, the um, Spotify and different streaming parameters. They, they all have different loudness levels. So if you go and send a, a, a CD mix at zero dB um, mastered for CD to a streaming, they just drop it by, I think, Spotify is minus 14. So wow. they just drop it. You know, uh, so your loudness pushing it all, all the way actually means nothing. It's, it's understanding that loudness, the loudness parameters you're allowed to, to the medium that you, you are, are dealing with. Yeah. I think it's very important. Now I hear very, you. Yeah. Very good. And in terms of the future of the industry, uh, you, you know, because I remember when, when I started, which is only 19 years ago, uh, there were a few engineers than I see now, you know, mm. and I know there were also um, a few people who had equipment, you, you know, and now I see the like different dynamics going on in the market. What, 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 what do you see as the future of the industry going forward? What, 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 is, what are some things that you see happening? Or I think, I think we, the industry is moving. I mean, if you look at the figures of, and I know I'm talk, talking about this again, streaming is now, your, the, the biggest delivery mechanism for music. Um, and it seems to be that they, they're now resolving 
the, the revenue stream. So the money is coming back from streaming to, to musicians and, and making it worthwhile. Yeah. You know, we've, we had this long period where um, CD sales disappeared, you know, um, and nobody was making any money out of music internationally. Wow. Um, you know, live performances became the core uh, breadwinner, you yeah. know, to musicians. I think that's sort of balanced out now, where, where the, the streaming uh, platforms and, and live performances are sort of balancing for, to, to get the money through. You know, the, the, the I'm going back quite a, a number of years. I mean, yeah. there was recorded music and then there was performances. And the recorded music um, was the key and the performances were a way of promoting that recorded music. It's actually come the other way around now, where the performance is everything and the, the streaming platform is a way of promoting those live performances. Sure. So there's a balance that will come. You know. Yeah. And there's, um, this is just something really a bit random, you know. Mm. Um, <clears throat> have you ever, you know, like I've seen a few times when the, the engineers mixing for TV clash with the guys mixing for the live audience mm. because sometimes loud, when, when, when it's too loud, it leaks into the mics, it affects the mm. broadcast. Have you seen those drums? <laughs> <laughs> And if, if you've seen some of those, what was one of your most classical? They were like, yes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because you can, you can throw your toys out as the broadcast engineer and, and start screaming and shouting, but that's not going to achieve anything. So I think uh, diplomacy is probably a better <laughs> attitude to take. Exactly. You know, um, you know, the live engineer is trying to do his best because it's a catch-22 situation because yeah. if he doesn't make it exciting, the crowd's not going to react. You know, the audience is not going to react. Yeah. So, you know, you might have the most perfect clean mix yeah. from the stage, you know, for broadcast, but there's no crowd reaction, so it, it falls flat. So there's got to be a balance, you know, yeah. and I, I think it's it's all about talking. Communication is, is important, you know. Yeah. Um, you can't always dictate as the broadcast engineer. Uh, I've had this fairly recently where I said, yeah. well, what about in-ears? No, there's only monitor stage monitors. And that's what you've got to deal with. You can't yeah. sort of say, well, you've got to turn them off yeah. so my recording is perfect because how do you get the performance? Exactly. And I know some of these gigs in Nigeria, you don't know. Mm. And Nigeria is a beautiful place. I love the artists. Mm. The performances are amazing. And I love working in Nigeria. Mm. And uh, this is just an example also working in Ghana or Rwanda or Congo, whatever, you know. It's, um, in South, working in South Africa, people, the industry is, is a bit more advanced, you know, because they've had more access to technology over the past mm. years. Mm. So, so things like uh, in-ears, people know they need to come in through, mm. they need to do proper rehearsal time, mm. you know. Mm. And then in some of these other countries, the same artists are having so many other shows. Mm. And then it becomes a bit difficult for a live sound engineer to work with in-ears for that particular show because you would not have maybe 50% of the artists come in for rehearsals. Mm. And I understand that is always difficult because for broadcasts, in-ears are perfect. Mm. For, for, for us, if you give someone in-ears and they're not comfortable with them, but they're used to the loud, mm. whatever, you know, they end up not being happy. 
<laughs> and, they, and they can even say it on the mic and mm. it can go out on broadcast and the people in the audience can hear it. But, but it's good what you say that is about that dialogue coming to a point where you, you can get things resolved. Do you know, I, I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying about Nigeria and it's, it's yeah. I love the energy. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, but it's, it's, I always say it's not for sissies. It's, it's <laughs> you've got to be pretty brave yeah. and you've got to roll with the punches there, yes. you know, and uh, you never know who's going to come on stage, what yes. what they're going to need. And, yeah. But that's all part of the fun and the exactly. excitement. Yeah. Um, I think in time, you know, one of the, you made a point about, you know, that technologically South Africa is probably a bit more advanced. But I, I do find that generally the Nigerian, the young engineers are yes. hungry for information. They, yes. they, they lap it up. Yeah. Um, and they have a work ethic that is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, that really is. So yeah. somewhere along the line, I think there'll be a balance there as well. You know, yeah. where, where professionalism and, you know, the, but the artists uh, in Nigeria are kind of on riding a huge wave. So exactly. they're almost at the stage where they don't want you, you can't dictate to them. Exactly. You know? Yeah, um, true. And then uh, one last thing, um, in terms of rates, right? how much an engineer gets paid, how much mm. an engineer charges, you know. Um, a, an engineer, when do they decide uh, they should charge the top dollar or what? Or is it the market that it takes? How does that work? I think it's a very, very good question. Um, mm. I always have advocated for tiers, yeah. you know. So um, how you... police, well, not police it, but just de de decide that is, is very difficult. I mean, yeah. um, you know, is it because I'm older that, that I should be in tier one? Yeah. That doesn't necessarily, you know, and it also depends on what area, you know. Yeah. I mean, if I was to go, f just as an example, with you, against you for a live show, you would eat me up hands down. You know, you've, you've set up more systems than I think I've had breakfast, so... <laughs> You know, it's it's that kind of thing. What what area are you specifically really good in? Yeah. And if you are really good in a, a specific area, you should be able to charge charge top top dollar for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's a, it's a grey area. You know, yeah. uh, and, and as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of the time, people will undercut you to get the job. Exactly. Know? Um, you know, I know there's been talk about having a union. To set rates and things like that. Um, I, I think it's a good idea. I yeah. think it would be a very good idea. Yeah. yeah. Just takes a lot of effort. And for me, that fight, I can't put it on the side. Yeah. It yeah. means people are going to die for the cause. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do the work, yeah. make sure yeah. clients are happy, and then mm. clients pay for the value and not try to try to convince clients what value you're giving. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, you make a point there about personality is a huge effect in this business. If yeah. you've got a, a good disposition and a, and a friendly face and, you know, the client is always right. Yeah. You know, whether they are or not, does, it's yes. immaterial. Yeah. You know, but, you know, too many times you hear of stories and, and see them as well where, you know, the engineers will start saying, what do you know, you know, yes. and, and get an attitude. Yeah, true. Um, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect mix. So if, exactly. if your client decides he doesn't like that mix, roll with it. Don't, don't get all uptight. And, yeah, and, you know. and I know I've had those kind of discussions with people, and I'm like, the person who decides that the mix is good or not is the person paying the money. 
Mm. You know, it doesn't matter. You like more bass, you like snare, you like whatever. You know, it doesn't matter what you like. Mm. Person who pays the money decides. Yeah. You know, but as a sound engineer for life, sound engineers, whatever they decide, I must not damage people's ears. You know, yeah. <laughs> like That's I true. just know I play within a certain mm. level, but you know, it is up to them. Just one last thing before we we close. How many years did it take you from just that guy who's like whatever, you know, to like a guy who people that actually respected and you could kind of negotiate uh, how much you charge to clients? Like, like how, how many is roughly? I just want like a, a rough uh, number. I mean, one of the reasons I, I, I went out and set up my own business was that I was working for a particular studio. Yeah. And... I realized that I was generating more income for that studio and getting yeah. paid a minimum than, than uh, one of the other directors of the studio who worked basically office hours and was getting a huge salary. Yeah. Um, so I, I went out on my own and started at, at the base rate. Yeah. Um, but how long did that take? How, how many years was that before you could actually move? Make that move. I moved it. The moment I set up my own company, I set up a rate structure that and I was happy many, with. And, how many and people years, either took it or not. How many years was it when you started in the industry in the to industry, when you then I would started say, to move you know, once, once, It depends on how much experience you've had. If, yeah. if you're prolific in the industry as a youngster and you, you, you know, working crazy yeah. to get where you want to, um, I would say between five and six years and then you can start dictating. I agree. On a, yeah. For me, I've always seen it takes you, when you work with five years, mm. it, that's how long it takes to actually get to make a name. Mm. And then when you make a name, then people pay, pay yeah. for that name yeah. than just the service. Yeah. But thank you very much, Richard. I really appreciate been a real for the pleasure. time coming through and being with real me. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for the intelligent questions. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Richard. I appreciate it.